Hello, listener. It's Sean from General Snobbery. I'm thrilled to inform you that today, for the 10th episode we are releasing, our episode will, for the first time, travel into places entirely disconnected from film. As indicated at the conclusion of our ninth episode, my cohort, Matt, has made the bold decision to spend many months walking the Appalachian Trail. Yet such a noble decision has consequentially put the podcast on hold. Nevertheless, in the days leading up to his journey, we secretly recorded an episode wherein I interview Matt about the intentions behind his noble journey. So tune in as we follow a meditative late-night conversation about the meaning of travel in both of our lives and why it is so important to have transformative experiences. Let's start the show. This is a podcast. Travel Welcome back to General Snobbery. Thank you for joining us for this special episode in which I, Sean, will interview Matt about his decision to hike the Appalachian Trail. And he will be departing in about two weeks. And um, yeah, hopefully we will learn about the many factors that go into such a big decision. All right. Um, So, Matt, if I could, uh, maybe I'd ask... um, how did the idea to hike the Appalachian Trail first arise in your mind? Okay, that's a great question, Sean. <clears throat> Thank you. I first heard about the Appalachian Trail about four years ago when I read the book A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. If uh, anyone's familiar with the author Bill Bryson, he's a nonfiction writer who he's often um, lumped in the travel writing genre because he's written a couple yeah. travel books, but he's written on various things such as the English language in his book, The Mother Tongue, or um, I think he has a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything, where he like condenses or distills, I guess, um, theoretical physics or just uh, physics down to everyday language. But that's, that's off topic. So I read this book, A Walk in the Woods, in which Bill Bryson decides to walk the Appalachian Trail. And that's when I first heard about it. And I had this um, sort of this developing latent desire after reading that book to maybe one day do it. But it sort of fell in that along with like those other, that other box of dreams in our heads where it's like, Oh, that'd be cool to do theoretically, but I know I won't period. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so I figured I would never do it. And then recently, um, my life, uh, began to undergo a series of transitions in which I'm starting a new career and moving to a new city. And, my my thought was just to jump right into things, but I had a number of colleagues who, great people who said, you should hike the Appalachian Trail. And maybe like the third or fourth time you hear the exact same thing from different people's mouths, it begins to be clear. And um, so I remember one night being at a bar with some friends and a close friend of mine said, you should hike the Appalachian Trail. And while the other people who had said that to me, I just sort of said, sure, yeah. That's it. Uh, for some reason, when he said it to me, about a minute later, I decided, okay, I, I guess I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think then 
a lot of our listeners or sorry, our one listener can relate to the fact that every once in a while we can experience um, some really positive input from the outside and people who kind of guide us toward our path. Um, but I'd also imagine that a lot of them and I know you kind of realize that these decisions come from a deeply personal place as well. Like other people can kind of guide us toward our decisions, but ultimately it comes from you know, a sense of self-knowledge and a, a sense of seeking, perhaps. So if you were to kind of go past the um, other people recommending you to go on this trail, what personal reason, like, or what what are kind of the primary personal impulses really guiding this decision? I think, um, for me, kind of the primary impulse guiding this is something that it's a very simple answer, but it doesn't really kind of give its, give itself justice. And that's this desire to have some kind of a transformative experience and knowing that something like the Appalachian trail can do that. And, um, I think, I think we have, we often have this desire to have a transformative experience, but while at the same time being unwilling to, (laughs) to give into what that, what that, what a transformative experience requires, which is a sense of, um, giving into the unknown and change. And so it's very nice to have like a packaged kind of consumeristic. Here's your, you know, your, um, here's your transformative experience. You can buy it and there you have it. And yeah. so, um, that's just kind of one snobby, um, little, uh, way to think of it right there. Aside from that, I think I hadn't planned on doing this, but kind of, as I looked at the idea of being in a life transition, especially one in which that I'll probably never, uh, the likes of which I won't ever have again. So I won't ever have a chance again to do this. I think this, this idea to have Again, I keep saying it, but like a transformative experience, um, that is, that could be anything. I don't know. Um, yeah. So you've, you've mentioned, uh, transformative experience several times, which is, you know, a really great way to describe certain realities. So, um, I guess what, what is your understanding of that term? What is a transformative experience? Um, that's a great question. I think, for me, a transformative experience is, <laughs> uh, let me look at, let me look up the definition. I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe edit some of this. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> let me do that real quick. Um, God, it's so hard to explain. Um, I think it can only be felt. You can only experience it. And I relate it to the idea of advice. You know, no one's ever going to give you advice that's perfect. So you have to listen to multiple sources of advice and discern how you then take those and act upon them. And so no one can ever tell you to have a transformative experience or what that is. You just kind of have to undergo a process by which you allow yourself to be changed. And you then grant yourself the gift of later reflecting on how you were changed and see that that uh, your life has maybe taken on a certain sense of the profound. 
that seemed vague and <laughs> you know i guess i I, know. I guess when i hear transformative experience i think of religious experience um and i i i guess in my mind a religious experience is a type of transformative experience but maybe not not every transformative experience has to be a religious experience um and that's another super vague term, a religious experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it tends to be defined as um, kind of having the sense of something very expansive and um, a sense of connectedness with the cosmos and with the universe. And, um, you know, a transformative experience in my mind is like, I guess can apply to different situations. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be one moment of kind of, uh, sensory overload or, uh, I don't know, perceptual impossibility where suddenly the world just seems so beautiful and interconnected that we can't possibly comprehend it. But, you know, if we were to say a transformative experience was, uh, college or something Mm -hmm. like yeah you can apply it to things with a lot of time or you could apply it to like particular moments like a transformative experience in my life was when i broke my left kneecap and i was completely planning on living one particular life where i was going to do the peace corps for 27 months in latin america and then i broke my knee and that didn't happen and i ended up thinking about my life and my decisions a lot more in the recovery time. And next thing I knew I was doing graduate school for creative writing and then teaching high school English. And, um, before either of those traveling around the West coast and traveling around Guatemala. So that moment of slipping off of the rope swing over the river and falling onto the bed of rocks that ended up cracking my patella in half was a transformative experience. And so I know that's not the <laughs> yeah. that's not the kind you're exactly looking for, but it altered the direction of my future. Mm-hmm. And um, so is that kind of what you're getting at with transformative experience, like something that will really significantly alter your path forth? I think so. And I think when I think of transformative experience, it really has to do with kind of an attitude of approach in terms of how are you going to look at the things in front of you? Um, and so plenty of people have, um, broken their knee in their lives, but, um, but mine hurt the worst. (laughs) Yeah. It was the worst, (laughs) But, but I think you could let that be transformative or you could let it not be. And by letting it not be transformative, um, it would probably just be for the rest of your life, you occasionally mention that you broke your knee. Like, that's it. You don't then relate it to kind of the, the way you've lived the rest of your life as a whole. Like, okay, I, yeah. I then had to undergo this process of consideration and, and it led me to look deeply into like, well, what is my next step? Because what my next step was is now no longer available. So now what do I do? Um, and I guess grappling with that existential question of like, okay, I have to make a decision here and there's no clear, easy path that's just going to help me know that I made the right decision. So I'm going to have to kind of like, I guess just go with it and like figure that out. And I've had moments where I'm like, what am I doing? Especially when I'm like, 
I still need to buy some stuff <laughs> and like, and then I'm going to be like out there and I'm starting. So I guess I should just say a little bit real quick about the Appalachian trail. If you're not familiar with it, it's a 2200 mile, um, hiking a trail that goes from Georgia to Maine, or in my case, Maine to Georgia, because I'm going to be hiking from north to south, which is less common, but my schedule works that in such a way that that's what I'll have to do. And um, I've done hiking in my life. I've never really done this type of hiking where you hike and then you <laughs> sleep and cook your own food and then you do that and you do that for the next five months. So... Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Just kind of giving a background of the trail. Yeah, yeah. And um, so in terms of fears, it leads me to have a certain sense of like, ugh, I am not totally confident with how this is going to go for me. But wanting to tap into that lack of confidence, I think, is actually something that I've been looking forward to for about the past week. Recently, I've thought about the fact that I'm going to experience a number of emotions while I'm out there. Um, one will be angry at the heat when I'm really hot and yeah. another, you know, will be, um, happiness when I see a neat, um, tree or something like that. But I think probably out there I'll tap into a number of primordial emotions too. Like I'm afraid that there is a bear out there, right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and in general, we don't, we don't have that experience much in our day-to-day -day lives. And you could say that's a good thing. I'm sure a lot of people would say that's a good thing. Um, but you could, <laughs> you could maybe frame it in the sense of too, like, well, have you really experienced life if you've never experienced the fear of a bear? I'm sure many people would say yes, but something about me is almost excited to tap into this sense of, well, I recognize that I am not completely self-sufficient and I will realize that about day five when I am bored <laughs> and I'm carrying yeah. all my food and toilet paper <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so would you say part of you is intending to kind of tap into maybe a reservoir of your psyche that has not really been accessed yet? That maybe this... Yeah. It's really low. It is low, yeah. That maybe this type of experience would demand that you access? Um, yeah, I think so. Sort of. I hadn't thought about it in the sense of like, um, until recently at least, that I have that desire to kind of tap into those kind of different parts of my mind and whatnot. But I think I've more recently come to to the realization that that will happen. And so I'm like, nice, I'm going to embrace that. So when I think of life, a lot of times I think of a sailor's dive. We'd, no, I was talking with someone about this recently. Are you familiar with what a sailor's dive is? No. Sean? So it's a type of dive. I don't know where it came from. I guess maybe sailors used to do it where you dive into the water, you know, like any dive, you dive head first, but a typical dive, you're diving hands first a sailor's dive you put your hands to like your side like by your waist and then you dive in literally head first <laughs> your head is the first part that hits the water <laughs> and somehow at one point in time i sort of came up with this idea of life as a metaphor of a sailor's dive like listen you're just gonna have to go in head first like <laughs> no way around it and i think in, in many ways i look forward to that on the trail and um also viewing it as a chance to just sort of 
um, you know, I'm not going into it. I would like to do the whole thing, but I don't see not doing the whole thing as a failure. <laughs> like what a way to diminish an experience. Like, no, it's just, it's, it's just a way to figure out, well, what did I experience? So, um, yeah. Would you say that there's a spiritual component to the experience or to the intention of the trip? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, um, there certainly is kind of a sense of, you want to put it in like a natural way, like awe and wonder before what I'm going to see. And I've always very much been drawn to the outdoors and part of the trail goes through parts of upstate New York that has a very, what I understand, interesting geological, um, history. And you can see these areas where the glaciers scraped rocks over other rocks. And, um, and so there's a certain sense of time and mortality and grandeur that is, I think, necessarily going to be evoked if I keep my eyes open. And I think that's fundamentally a, a process of coming to a certain sense of spirituality. And so, um, I think just kind of going into it also, I think in terms of spirituality, the fundamental question is, is a certain better understanding of self and, I'm not looking for like an American experience of like, look at how self-sufficient I am, but maybe rather like, look at how in my attempts to be self-sufficient, I realize how deficient I am in so many ways. And yeah. that is a, that's a pretty good way to, to come to a better understanding of yourself. So it's in, in part an attempt to humble yourself in a way, kind of humble yourself against like, uh, forces that we can't quite control. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I don't have like a thing or things that I feel like I need to like humble myself about. You know what I mean? I think right. some people go into a certain experience with a certain particular thing in mind that they're going to try and carry with them. And yeah. I don't really have that, but just that overall theme of like, yeah, let's, let's kind of, let's kind of see the, maybe the discomfort of this. You know, I think, um, Oftentimes our culture can be a little, um, a, a little <laughs> more than a little can be totally against any sense of like living with discomfort, right? You know, just right. like the first chance that that discomfort can be relieved, get rid of it. Yeah. I think about that. Like anytime I walk into an air conditioned building and yeah. it's hot and humid outside, I'm like, man, <laughs> like this, like a half of 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 a percent of humans who have ever existed have gotten to experience that idea of walking from the outside where it's a hundred to the inside where it's 68. <laughs> like, everyone else was just like, well, my house is 90 degrees tonight and I'm going to try and go to bed. <laughs> right. It's even hotter in here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So I think that, um, kind of, just whatever I was saying <laughs> conclusion. <laughs> so I, I guess my question is um, what in your mind is the value in kind of choosing to become uncomfortable in, mm. uh, in choosing to really mm. go beyond the limits of our comfortable society? Because I think comfort is probably one of the highest like 
values of our society. Like we really seek comfort. We seek security. We seek, uh, consistency Mm -hmm. and, um, doing something like the Appalachian trail is basically like going completely away from all of those (laughs) and saying like, I'm seeking the other side. Like what, what's, Mm -hmm. what value is there that we don't see? That's funny because I actually think about that sort of question a lot. And sure, I'd like people to be comfortable. Like that, that's nice, right? That's we probably want other people to be comfortable. But we have, again, I think um, from my experiences, comfort is associated with a couple of the other things you mentioned, Sean, like consistency and security, and I guess essentially a certain sense of control. <laughs> you know, like. Um, I control the air conditioning. Like I want it 72. I press the button. It's 72. So there is a certain sense of, I guess, probably safety that we feel and the control that we have when it comes to all that's associated with comfort. Discomfort, on the other hand, is, I think, a fundamental recognition of lack of control. And from just sort of my kind of cosmic life (laughs) hermeneutic, um, Hashtag Heidegger, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) my sort of, my sort of universal interpretation of the world is essentially at the end of the day, we, there are a lot of things that we do not have control of (laughs) one being our own mortality. So, so I think it's probably a good thing to recognize that you do not have control over a lot and it's not something to run away from or try and forget about by watching a bad summer blockbuster. <laughs> it's something you should rather maybe try and confront and then try and kind of deal with in a human way. Now, Sean, I hope <laughs> hope you don't mind if I turn the tables. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> now, Sean, a number of years ago, you went hitchhiking um, across the country. Maybe if you'd be willing maybe just share a little bit about kind of where you went and what was your thought process leading up to this experience? Yeah. So I suppose I would start with the actual physical progression. So I started on Yosemite National Park and I visited that uh, amazing, amazing place with a couple friends. And then we drove west when we left for about uh an hour and a half or so on a state highway. And, um, you know, I almost remember it as a dirt road, but I know it wasn't a dirt road at this point, but it was a one lane highway. And on our right side was just a farm of pistachio trees. And there was a, there was a dirt shoulder, which I think is what I'm recalling. And I I just said to them like, yeah, this is a good spot. You can drop me off here. And they were aware of my plan, so, you know, they weren't surprised. They were like, all right, let's do it. And they dropped me off on the side of the road and then drove away. And um, I stuck my thumb out and started hitchhiking. And, um, you know, through a multitude of rides, through a multitude of incredible people, um, I ended up traveling around a lot of Northern California, um, a whole lot of Oregon and Washington, like not just coastally, but really, uh, inland as well. Um, and I, I do want to stress that this all came through the kindness of other people, like, um, through the, through hitchhiking, like there is kind of a, a using 
element to it, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, <laughs> it was, it was tough to shake the guilt of that, that I was kind of like using people and hoping they would be like, yeah, you can, you know, stay in our guest bedroom tonight and stuff. And like, um, I guess getting what I could out of people, but still the intention was to, uh, spread love as much as I possibly could. Um, and, you know, listen to the people who pick me up and hear what their life stories are. And, um, that was one of the amazing things was that, you know, these strangers would pick me up and within five minutes, they're pouring out their life story to me, this stranger. And, you know, we have like two or three hours to drive and they just keep pouring it out. And, you know, as uh, a charitable act toward them, I just listen, you know, because if someone's going to talk that much, they're, they're going to want to be heard. And then I ended up cutting east and cut through the panhandle of Idaho and then across about half or two-thirds of Montana, and then I cut down through Wyoming, and then into Denver, and then ended up cutting east across Kansas, and finally finishing in St. Louis, which is where my family lives. Um, And the whole process, the whole journey took like two and a half months or so, and um, so that's kind of the physical form the journey took, but in terms of intention, it all goes back to my reading of Jack Kerouac's On the Road which I read uh, my senior year of college in 2009, uh, the fall of 2009. And reading that book, the uh, unedited scroll edition, which um, our one listener should read over the edited edition, um, that that really blew, blew open the doors of my reality. Um, one of the themes that's developed throughout this podcast is that art – can have the ability to open up one's reality, the person who experiences the art. Um, it's a communicative act in a way, like the artist communicates meaning toward the person receiving the art. And um, I know a lot of people kind of hate Kerouac and would really <laughs> scoff at the idea of calling him an artist. But um, reading that book for the first time really opened my mind to possibilities of existence and it was like wow i can literally stand on the side of a road with a bag and point my thumb and then all of a sudden i'm like you know getting picked up and ending up in a new destination boy oh boy i saw parts of our culture and our country that i never could have seen through any act of renting a car or taking a tour bus or uh taking any local bus it just it happened and it was like it was like kind of giving myself up to higher forces or higher higher power in a way like trusting in the universe and in like the motion of of um the day-to-day life that things would be good and things always were good things were always great like people were always kind and going out of their way to help me but um you know i think that one of the uh, underlying intentions at the get-go was to connect more to God, um, to connect more to my spiritual self, and to connect more to humanity in a more deep and personal kind of way and, you know, connect to people that I normally don't interact with, um, to get inspiration for art and for um, conversation um yeah just to see like this amazing place we live in because you know we do live in a a complicated society that is still like the 
global superpower, or at least presents itself as such. And, you know, despite a lot of other countries' hatred of America, like, they're still an incredibly powerful nation. And we often get caught up in, like, the political aspect of that like you know the the political power the the cities and dc and um we forget that part of our heritage is our natural landscape and all of the incredible sites that exist within you know a fairly small country i mean it's i mean it's big but it's it's not monstrous you know it's the size of australia and stuff and it's got nothing on china but (laughs) Like, there's such incredible things. There's multiple coasts. There's multiple mountain ranges. There's a freaking rainforest. There's, like, (laughs) desert. There's so much stuff that we take for granted. And, like, even, like, Teddy Roosevelt was, you know, the the famous president for, like, really working toward um, preserving our nature and preserving um, what amazed the British people who came over on the Mayflower and like came to this land that they thought was like the new garden of Eden, basically like this is amazing. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt made the national parks happen and these national parks still exist. And so do amazing landmarks like half dome and El Capitan and old faithful and the grand Canyon. And like, you know, the list goes on infinitely pretty much. Um, so you know, I had some time to spare in my life because, as mentioned, I broke my knee and <laughs> all of a sudden my plans were completely uprooted. And so once I recovered, it's like, well, I have all this open time. What am I going to do? Like, ah, I guess it's time to just go hitchhike. And, you know, the it was almost like the only response to being on a couch for two months or three months in my recovery was to hitchhike around for two months or three months and try to see as much of this amazing continent as I could. I would imagine that when someone is going through some kind of a transition in life or they've had this desire for a while to just go experience something, um, probably if you were to ask your average person like this question, Hey, I want to go experience something significant. I have some time off in my life. What should I do? I imagine a lot of people would say something like go through, go travel through Europe or, um, you know, I can't even think of other examples, but like my my point is your average person would probably not be like, go hitchhike. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) I do the Appalachian trail. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious what, um, like, do you remember, do you recall many reactions when you told people or what was kind of the general feel when you, when you told people I'm going to go hitchhike? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, definitely a lot of people thought I was insane. Most notably my mother, um, who was not pleased with the idea, but she's an amazing person and still found a way to support me. Um, my dad thought it was funny and awesome and he was real supportive. Um, you know, I think I was so convinced of it at the time that, like, people really didn't put up that much of resistance. Um, every once in a while, you know, I'd meet a person who's like, you're going to hitchhike? You're going to die. <laughs> like, aren't you afraid that some guy's going to, like, cut your head off or something? And, like, it would say way worse stuff. And I'd just kind of say, like, yeah, I'm not worried about that at all. <laughs> I had met several people who had hitchhiked and, you know, I read Kerouac's book and kind of had this really optimistic viewpoint on humanity like no things will be fine things will work out great and 
They did. I got 20 plus rides and covered over 2,000 miles. You know, my longest ride was like eight hours. Wow. This one guy just threw a night um, from Montana to Colorado. And um, so, yeah, I think a a lot of people, I I, I was kind of surprised. A lot of people were really excited. They were real excited because I was going to be keeping a blog throughout it. So they were excited to hear about it. And a lot of people read these blog posts that I wrote about it. And there was a lot of real positive feedback from um, various people from my past, from like Mm. elementary school to high school, mostly like, you know, a lot of people I hadn't talked to in a long time saying like, I really enjoy reading these. Thanks for posting this. Thanks Mm. for showing us that um, there's other ways to look at the world. And so that was that was a real beautiful and cool affirmation was to see that like you know a lot of these people who went from high school straight to college straight to full-time 40 plus hour week job to you know that for years and years um would kind of hear about about this as a possibility and support it and not scoff at it. So you know, I, I just see a lot of um, a lot of things to be humble about when I think about that whole two and a half months in terms of the kindness of strangers and the receptivity of people. Like there really weren't that many people, if anyone at all, like trying to dissuade me. It was people being like, "Wow, that's that's so cool!" Like I'm looking forward to hearing about that, and. You know, that's just, that's, that's just such a cool affirmation that, um, people do still really care about that. It's just, you know, to be in contemporary society, it's like, (laughs) you know, to pay bills and to pay rent and to pay for loans and to pay for all kinds of stuff. You can't necessarily just be like, well, see ya and pack (laughs) up for a while. Like, um, it's very difficult to do. There's so many things bogging people down, but I think there's still a sense that um, people want to do something meaningful mm-hmm. like that. And um, something like backpacking through Europe is a good standard. You know, mm-hmm. people aren't going to question that so much. They're like, oh, yeah, I did that when I was younger. Oh, I re- always wanted to do that. Like, whatever that even means, mm-hmm. backpacking through Europe. Um, but, you know, something like the Appalachian, like mm-hmm. I'm going to do a through hike of the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. or I'm going to go hitchhiking around. Like, it might, you know, wobble their reality mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, but, you know, either way, like, I I would tell anyone I ever meet that if they have time and opportunity, like, travel, go see stuff, go expand the horizons of your reality i liked what you said about kind of being at that age when you went on the (laughs) the hitchhike and viewing the world very idealistically like oh everything will be fine and i totally resonate with that and thinking about things that i did when i was younger even just like five years ago that sort of time and and now thinking, gosh, if I did that now, I think I would approach it with such a different sense of um, caution, maybe. I don't know. Like, so do you like, clearly, I think you would be in support of if someone came to you 
and was like, I want to do this. I think you'd say, yeah, you should do that because I think you're going to have a good experience. But do you ever sometimes find yourself just thinking, I can't believe I did that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing your picture yeah. of like, this is everything I have. And, yeah. and then like, yeah, just like a, a backpack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of me feels like it was a, a different life in a way. I mean, cause it, it was a different life because my life is a lot more structured and routine now. And that life was very unstructured and routine to the point, like I'd be stranded on the side of the road and, thinking like, I have no idea where I'm about to sleep tonight. Like, I, and then all of a sudden I pitch a tent on like the strip of lawn off of Highway 90 in Montana. Like, you know, there's, there's no guarantees to that reality. There's no comfort to it. And, you know, that's one of the themes of what we're talking about is uh, a lack of comfort. And, um, you know, why, why did I seek that? I think there's a sense that in discomfort is um, some form of truth that may not necessarily be um, readily available for access in comfortable reality. Um, if we get comfortable in our apartment living or condo living or house living and with our cars and with our stable jobs and with our nice relationships. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying any of that is bad, but basically that's one form of reality and that's like a way of, that's a sustainable way of reality. And, um, you know, for people who have long-term plans, that's the great way to go. But for like a more difficult to sustain form, like hitchhiking around or hiking for several months, um, trying to live off just what's on our back, it's a lot more well, it, it takes us into uncomfortable places and, you know, uncomfortable places literally going beyond that aforementioned comfort zone. And there's a sense imparted through literature and through art and through significant conversations that something meaningful exists within the uncomfortable, something meaningful that you can't necessarily put into words it's kind of ineffable <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's going to be different depending on the particular experience but getting outside of the comfort zone is really like the key advice for so many scenarios like that's you know, true. we as human beings it's almost like an act of like you know getting embedded in a reality and then like opening up and um finding new realities then getting embedded then opening up and kind of going in and out and in and out and in and out, um, which is a line from the Who song, Squeezebox. <laughs> she goes <laughs> yes, in is. and out and in and out. <laughs> playing all night. <laughs> yeah, playing all night. And so, um, I guess, yeah, I, I can't really remember what the initial question was, <laughs> but somehow the conclusion has to do with going toward uncomfortable realities and seeing that it's something worth affirming. And something um, where truth was, or a place where truth resides. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And that's so not the standard way of approach. Because the yeah. standard way of approach is that those things that cause us discomfort, don't worry. Like, we've superseded those. Right, and we now, don't need those. Yeah. They're impractical. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you can get a job right after college and, you know 
get that job and you'll get 401k established and you'll start paying off your loans and, um, you know, you'll get health care and all this stuff, you know, all these, these kinds of things. And it's very seductive and we get sucked into that because that's mm-hmm. comfort. Yeah. So would you say you're kind of seeking the uncomfortable in your journey, Matt? Yeah. Not in like a masochistic way, you know, like, right. you know, like, and I, and, and I know you know, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just sort of everything else is kind of, kind of cut out. And I'm not, you know, a lot of people say like, I just want to disconnect. And I totally get that. Uh, I don't have that like desire. Yeah. I um, didn't get that desire either. Yeah. Um, I still have a cell phone with mm-hmm. me. I will too. And, um, but there's a certain, I guess you can disconnect from other things and, um, you know, I'll just, I will smell bad for many days, like on end, yeah. you know, like, and, and like, I'll take delight in a toilet that flushes. Like it's, it kind of, kind of look forward to like realizing like, oh, I should be amazed every time I see a toilet flush. Like, right. that's kind of a yeah. marvel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll repaint the picture of reality and the things that we take for granted yeah for sure all right well listener the reason you are listening to this at this point is that uh, matt is soon to embark upon this trail and he will be gone for several months which means that we will quite likely not be snobbing for several months but fear not because when he returns in december um we will find a way to get it going again with a bang so it'll quite likely become better than ever before yeah it'll it'll be snob 2.0 essentially so just to imagine you have a nice little christmas gift on the way and that and your listening uh endeavors will become all the better at that point indeed so we hope that you bear with us in the meantime and that you return to us when mass triumphant return comes in the end of December and we are able to talk about his fantastic and currently unforeseen experiences in connection to whatever the heck kind of movies are coming out in (laughs) January of 2017. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they'll be good. Maybe an avatar is coming up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a new star Wars. Oh yeah. That'll be good stuff. Yeah. Many good things to come. So we will uh, snob with you soon. Thank you very much, listener. Fare thee well. Farewell. Farewell.